don't settle. Don't settle. That's a, a term that's used in different areas of our lives. Some might say uh, uh, in your education, you know, don't, don't settle for, for that school. Go to this school. Maybe in your, in your career, uh, don't settle for that job. You could definitely do this job. Um, in, in, in negotiations, uh, a lot of times in, in uh, court, you hear that term, um, we're not going to settle. Don't settle. In, in our relationships, uh, I remember when my wife and I were dating and, and, uh, and I asked her to marry me, her parents said, uh, Jen, don't settle for him. And <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Kathy's right back there. <laughs> Maybe they said that to her. I don't really know. But today I want to talk about not settling in our relationship with God. Uh, I assume that uh, every one of us has had a point in our, our life uh, when you just kind of feel off. Um, and, and maybe it happens daily or weekly or monthly. I don't know how often it happens for everyone. I know with me, sometimes I, I just have this feeling, and I'm not really sure where it, where it comes from. It, it can look like different things. It can look like um, uh, a lack of contentment or fulfillment or some kind of emptiness or even uh, restlessness. And that's kind of the word that I'm really going to focus on today is this feeling of restlessness. And so some people, they just, they have this feeling, and so they move. If I, if I move to a different house or a different town, or if I buy a new car, or if I change jobs, or for some, it's if I change spouses, it, everything will be better, and this feeling will go away. Well, we know it doesn't work like that. But it's hard to know what causes a, a feeling of restlessness. Um, sometimes things can be really bad. Uh, that just... Uh, that happens with all of us. There are times in our lives where, where things are not going well, and then it makes sense. It makes sense to think, okay, this is not what life's supposed to be like. But I think the challenge is sometimes things are going, going really well, and uh, we still have this feeling of, there's something else. Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I faithful in, in my life? Is, am I, am I, uh, uh, what am I doing with, with myself? Well, as we continue through the New Testament, we come across the story about a man who, he seems to counter any opportunity for this feeling uh, or um, the opportunity to give in to these feelings. He probably had them, but he really seemed to counter them. It's Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to read about Abraham and how he did not settle. It starts out like this. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So basically what the scripture is saying, this first part, faith is confidence in what we hope for. We've heard about God's offer to us. We've heard about this fulfilling life. Uh, we've heard about the hope of eternity. But we don't understand it in full detail. We, we won't. And then it says, and assurance about what we do not see. With God, we do not have an object that we can see. But we see results. We see uh, we see the fruit of being obedient to him. Uh, we see the answers to prayer. Uh, we, we don't see God, but we can see that there is a God based off of what we, you know, what we do see, uh, of, of, thing, of the results of following his word and being obedient to him. But this, the, these words, confidence in what we hope for, kind of seems like, I mean, what is that? I don't really, uh, it's something I don't understand. And assurance about what we do not see. Well, I want to see it. This is the definition of faith. 
This is what the author of Hebrews tells us. And then he goes on and he says, all right, now I'm going to give you examples. He says, this is what the ancients were commended for. Now, I'm not going to read all the different examples. There are so many examples here, but they, it boils down to, um, for the most part, well, these are people who are following God, uh, whether it was one time, like Rahab, or uh, m- much of their lives, like Moses. But So at some point in their lives, um, each of these people were following God. Mostly, they're looking ahead to something they don't fully understand. God told them something or revealed something to them or put something on their heart, but they don't fully understand it when they, when they follow him. So they walk by faith. And so we're going to look then at, at Abraham. There's actually three different times Abraham is mentioned in this chapter, but we're going to look at just one here, starting at verse 8. It says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. All right, a little background here. Uh, I'm sure many of you know the story of Abraham and much of his life. I'm going to give just a little bit just to make sure. Abraham lived in Ur. It's just spelled U-R, which is modern-day Iraq. At age 75, God asked him to leave. Uh, Leave your home. Uh, leave your, your family, not, not his wife went with him and his nephew went with him, um, but leave your security. Leave everything you've known for 75 years. You got to go. He didn't even know where he was going, but Abraham went. Now, Ur, this is, I think this is somewhat important. It was, uh, it was probably what many would consider a great place to live at the time. The city had a good economy. Uh, it was uh, progressive in technology. The University of Pennsylvania and the British Museum once excavated Ur, and they found evidence of what they believed to be the first high-rise buildings. They found, this is, this is crazy, they found two-story mansions that served as single-family dwellings. <laughs> two-story mansions, we just think of that as like it's just a house, two stories. But then, that was a big deal. And Abraham probably lived in one of those mansions because he was so wealthy. But his life, it, it changed very quickly. He and his wife, uh, uh, Sarai, or Sarai, or eventually uh, Sarah, uh, his nephew, Lot, and others, probably around 300 people actually went with him. And, and when they went, they would have had to continue to move because they had flocks of animals, and for grazing purposes, they had to just keep going. I think about, it was a perfect camping trip. But you know what? You know people who camp today. You don't use tents. I know you don't use a tent. You use a nice camper, right? Most people who camp today, they actually have little houses on wheels, and they go camping. These guys, they lived in tents. I think of maybe the Boy Scouts. I wouldn't want to do that. Abraham probably didn't want to do that. It says he lived as a stranger in a foreign country. Could you imagine Moving, moving outside of the United States into a foreign country that may or may not have been safe at that time, not really, and, and moving around in tents. I mean, you don't even have the security of, of uh, locking the door on the camper or locking the door on your home. This is what Abraham did when he was 75. 
We know that he had faith. He was a friend of God. But it appears that he never really felt at home. And I want to tell you why I think that. See, before he left his home, he had about everything. He was wealthy. It would, it would be what we would call a life of success. If it were fulfilling, if there was no restlessness, would he have gone? I, I don't know. Maybe he, maybe he felt everything was perfect and he never wanted to go and, and this was enough for him. But I don't believe that because he followed God. He, he obeyed him and God asked him to do it and he did it. And, and maybe that's us. Maybe we hear that message from God that not that we have to move, but there's more to life than pursuing success. I know probably most people here believe that. Maybe there's still that, that doubt that creeps up, like, if I just do this, then I'm good. Now, I want to be clear on this. God did not tell Abraham to be poor, to give up his possessions. Right in the story in Genesis chapter 12, you can read the longer story. It says that he took all the possessions that they had accumulated. This is not about wealth. Abraham was still wealthy when he left. God didn't tell him to give it up, but I think he wanted him to understand that there was more, that this was not enough. This was not going to satisfy. I think about the story in Luke 12 that Jesus told. He said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Then he told this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will, I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is the most important verse here. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Now, sometimes we read this story and we think, well, God wants me to give up everything, give it all to the poor. The man in this story was not condemned because he had money. The man in this story was condemned because he did not have God. He settled. He settled for what he had, what he felt were blessings in this life, and that's good enough. Our faith is not centered around what we have. Uh, what we give, how much we even do for others. It's, I, I definitely believe it's good to give and to serve, but that's not the, sen, uh, the center of our faith. We're here because uh, we have put things before God. We, we have settled, all of us, but he made it right through his son. He, he offered forgiveness for settling. Abraham left success, and then he had another opportunity. He had an opportunity to live in a place that seemed to be um, a place uh, that would emphasize the flesh or pleasure or sensual indulgences, Sodom and Gomorrah. We think of that as an evil place, but before Lot and Abraham split, it was, uh, it was an opportunity to really just kind of live the life of ease, of pleasure. Abraham had uh, the first choice. Uh, being the, the uncle, he would have been able to choose, but he really didn't seem to care. He cared a lot more about keeping peace than just getting what was better. And so uh, when, the, when the time com came, um, it probably looked like a nice place to live. But he let Lot have first choice. See, back then, I think people did the same thing that they do today. People then moved in the same direction. When success is not enough, when we have everything 
that we feel like we need to have to be happy, and then it doesn't work, then we move on to something else. I think usually it, it goes something like money or wealth, and then power, and then pleasure, and maybe not in that order. I think it's why sometimes the wealthy become politicians. They have everything they could possibly want, and for some reason it's still not enough. So maybe maybe power would be next. I think it's why the rich get into, into trouble when we don't understand. We know these celebrities, they're, they're super rich and super famous, yet they do things that we think, why would you make that mistake? You have everything and you're risking losing it all. It's not that they want to lose it all, it's that there's that restlessness. There's an emptiness and they have not found the, the answer. I think it's why someone jumps from one addiction to the next. We overcome, okay, that's great. I don't have an addiction anymore to this, but I'm still empty. So move to something else. When we aren't giving our all to God, when we aren't being obedient, living for him, this is what happens. Abraham chose to move from place to place, not looking for the answers for this to this restlessness or emptiness on earth, but simply obeying God. And I think there's a, a huge lesson for all of us from this text here from Abraham. It it almost sounds odd to even say it, but I I believe it, or I wouldn't say it. Maybe restlessness is okay. Maybe it's okay to have this feeling of, of restlessness or emptiness or lack of fulfillment or contentment. Maybe it's okay to just live being faithful even when we don't feel like we're settled here on earth. See, verse 9, it says, By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents. In, in tents, two different words, not in tents. But he settled on the fact that he would never be settled. Now, I'm sure it was tough knowing that he wouldn't find a place that would really be home. But verse 10, it says, For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Ur did not last. Sodom and Gomorrah did not last very long at all. Abraham was looking for a city that would last. And only then, knowing that the city was last, uh, would last, only knowing that what he was going to uh, find this, this feeling of being settled, uh, he could only find it in, in God or in the hope of the promised land that would last forever instead of putting his hope into something that would only last for a little while. He could have settled. He could have stayed home. He could have settled uh, for wealth and pleasure, but he did not. And so the question I, I want to ask for all of us today, then, is how do we live today with eternity in mind? I, I really think this is, a, this is a kind of a tough idea because when you think about it, well, like, I know my, my home is, is heaven. This world is not my home. Uh, we're just passing through. Um, but how do I live then today? I think we find the answers in this text as well. Verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Number one, first thing they did, they embraced this feeling of restlessness. This feeling is not going to go away, no matter how much I try to uh, fulfill it or make changes here and now so that uh, I'll feel like I'm finally, I finally have it all together and everything's perfect. It's not going to be perfect. The first thing all these people who live by faith did was accept that it's not going to be perfect now. 
Keep going. Verse 14. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not, uh, not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. The second thing they did is they moved past uh, what they were comfortable with. What do I find my security in now? What do I put my hope in now? Uh, what, what helps me uh, for today and for next week and for next year? It's not all bad things, but it can't be what gives me this hope. These people who live by faith said, I know this gives me security, but it's not really giving me security. It's just the best that I can do. It, it allows me to have control over my life. Maybe it's not enough. And so they kept looking. Maybe you've made a decision or a commitment, and you think this is really, really important, and it matters a lot to me. I think people do that with budgets and finances and scheduling and how much time they're going to spend with people. And you make the commitment, and I'm going to see this person at least once a week, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to spend this, and I'm going to save this, and I'm going to pay this down, and I'm going to exercise this often. And then it gets hard. And you know what we go back to? What we were comfortable with. It's much easier to sit, sit and watch uh, Netflix for, for four hours and not worry about all that other stuff. But see, in verse 15, there's this, I think there's this play on words. It says, if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. To return to their home. I don't, I don't think it's about the location. Uh, Abraham still could have gone back to Ur and probably followed God if God led him there. But what, he, what he's talking about here is this old way of living. I, I know what God wants me to do. I have this, this feeling that I should go here or serve these people or do this, but it's too hard, so I'm just going to kind of forget about that. I'm going to do what, what, uh, what I've always done before, and that'll be enough. That's returning to the ways that we're just content with, but it's not enough. And then the last part of the, this, uh, this text here, verse 39 these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. The last thing they did to live, uh, live today with eternity in mind is they embraced the promise of something better. I, I know these aren't tangible things. What do I do right now? No, this is a mindset. Not what do I do, but what do I believe? Do I really believe there's something better? And if I do, I better go all out for it. I better give my heart and my soul and uh, everything to this. That's what these people did. We, sometimes we call this the, uh, the, the wall of faith uh, or the hall of faith, like the hall of fame, but these are the people that express the most faith. Well, how did they do it? A lot of different ways. For some, I, again, like earlier I said, it was one-time actions. For others, it was a whole life. But when they heard God call them, when they felt that God was pushing them in some direction to do something for him, they did it because they believed there was something better. Whether life is good or bad, there's something better. Good or bad, we don't settle. In, uh, I found a story that I, I thought this is really fitting for today. In light of the holiday, I thought I would read a Christmas story. Yeah, uh, not because today is Halloween, but I think, I think tomorrow is actually when the Christmas season starts. If you want to play Christmas music, you can do that tomorrow. I think that's the rule. 
I don't I don't really know if that's the rule or not. But in his book, Things Unseen, Living with Eternity in Your Heart, I thought that was a perfect book to, to read something from. Mark Buchanan points out how we all continually live for the next thing, the next item on our checklist of luxuries, the next job, the next adventure. As Buchanan notes, this becomes so obsessive that we lose the capacity to enjoy and to be thankful for what we have right now. And this is never more apparent than at Christmas time. He writes, I saw this close up when my children first got to that age when the essence of Christmas becomes the day of getting. There were mounds of gifts beneath our tree, and our son led the way in that favorite child, childhood game, and more subtly adult game, of how many are for me. But the telling moment came Christmas morning when the gifts were handed out. The children ripped through them, shredding and scattering the wrappings like jungle plants before a wielded machete. Each gift was beautiful, an intris- intrinsically laced dress Grandma Christie had sewn, an exquisitely detailed modeled car Uncle Bob had found at a specialty store on Robson Street in Vancouver, a finely bound and gorgeously illustrated collection of children's classics Aunt Leslie had sent. The children looked at each gift briefly, their interest quickly fading, and then put it aside to move to the next thing. When the ransacking was finished, he says, My son, standing amid a tumultuous sea of boxes and bright crumpled paper and exotic trappings, asked, Is this all there is? Using the all-too-familiar Christmas scene, Buchanan showed us how we are taught not to value things too much, but to value them too little. We forget to treasure and to savor. The pressure of constant wanting dissipates all gratitude. The weight of restless cravings plunders all enjoyment. But he adds a surprising thought, one thought to a deeper reason for our Christmas greed. He writes this, God made us this way. He made us to yearn, to always be hungry for something we can't get, to always be missing something we can't find, and to always be disappointed with what we, what we receive, to always have an emptiness that no, no thing can fill and an untamable restlessness that no discovery can still. Yearning itself is healthy, a kind of compass inside us pointing to true north. It's not the wanting that corrupts us. What corrupts us is the wanting that's misplaced, set on the wrong thing. God made us this way have this restlessness. But we try to fill it on our own, and it doesn't work that way. But maybe we need to embrace the promises of God. What promise do you need for, to hear from God to be faithful to Him? Maybe it's that the addiction will be gone, or the pain will go away. The struggle will end. I don't know what this something better is today, but we know what it is for eternity. And I'm sure you could say what you need, to, what you need from God right now that would help you to grow in your faith. On the flip side, things are going really well. Then I would ask, then why aren't you being faithful today? I have to ask myself that as well. It's challenging at times. Sometimes life gets in the way, even the good things. Maybe you're settling right now for the gifts that God has given you. But when we settle for the gifts and we and we forget about, about God himself, then we start to miss out. And then what happens is these gifts go away. When they go away, and they will, there's nothing left. So what is good enough right now but keeping you from being faithful to God and the life of knowing his experiences uh, and experiencing his faithfulness? 
God is faithful, but we will not know if we're not faithful back, if we don't trust him. See, Abraham chose not to live for success. He chose not to live for pleasure. Neither were enough because he believed in God's promise of something better. He accepted that in this world, there will never be enough and that God made him for more. Do you believe the same thing? Will you embrace the promise of something better and keep your heart set and focused on that? Let's pray. Father, uh, you have uh, led us to a point in our lives, each of us, uh, uh, always at a crossroad, a chance to choose you or not. I pray for every one of us um, in different stages of our lives, different ages, different opportunities, uh, different challenges. I pray that you would uh, give us all exactly what we need uh, to keep our focus, uh, to, keep, to direct our attention to you, and to be faithful to you as you have proven faithful to us through your son Jesus. And I thank you for showing us that love and giving us the ultimate reminder of something better. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.